0: something that I did not mention as we were beginning. Um, So when I was talking about those thoughts, feelings, and desires that move us towards God or away from God, on this sheet, um, those things that are listed as non-spiritual consolations, so the top, and then non-spiritual desolation, the top on the back, those are things that aren't directly related to God. Uh, those that are consolations, consolations are any thoughts, feelings, and desires that move us towards God. And desolations are thoughts, feelings, and desires that move us away from God. Okay? This is simplicity. Okay? And then um, the, so this is all language of St. Ignatius uh, that he gives, us, gives to us in his rules for the discernment of spirits. So That's where this, the, the particular language comes from. And then at the bottom, um, those things that are spiritual consolations are thoughts, feelings, and desires directly related to our relationships with God that move us to God, and spiritual desolations, thoughts, feelings, and desires that move us away from God. So those non-spiritual consolations and desolations, those can be really, those are um, just really things that make us feel happy and good, and things that make us feel sad and discouraged. so those non-spiritual things um, are all the things in our, in our daily life that don't directly impact our relationship with God. So that's kind of the difference between spiritual and non-spiritual, without having an entire weekend coming on. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, um, great. And I just want to invite you, um, anything as you were going through praying with Acknowledge, Relate, Receive, Respond, that... Um, that wasn't clear. That was challenging. They had questions about was it easy? Yes. <coughs> Jesse, Just I yeah. would say it's for me and I this was trying to check you. It's that trying to figure out if this is my idea, this is my thought, or this is God's thought. And seeing art. In the receiving part. yes. Mm-hmm. Great. Right. So. Um, Mostly we don't have to worry too much about it um, because as we say yes each way, um, God's going to continue to confirm or not. So as you're noticing movements in your heart, um, where do you start off, the important thing to pay attention to that can help us with that is noticing the movements, okay? What did I start out telling God about and how did that change, if at all, Okay. What does it look like now? And sometimes it's really super obvious and sometimes it's more subtle. Okay. So what were the thoughts, feelings, and desires that I thought started with? And as I take it unto the Lord, what has changed about that? What do they look like now? What do they feel like now? What do they notice now? Okay. And it's really good to say, Jesus, you are got to make this really obvious for me. you are going to make this really clear. Some days I'm kind of slow, a little dense. It's hard for me to catch on. And he will help us. He is super merciful and um, wants us to know his will. Okay, so he's not—he's um, not trying to get us to work really, really hard to figure out what he wants us to do. He is a God of revelation. Okay, and he wants it to make us wants to make us aware of his plan and his will and his desire for us. And sometimes that means just waiting. Waving and saying, this is what I think, but clue me in a little more. Make it really easy for this to happen, or slam every door, you know. And asking for that clarity is absolutely okay and really important. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really um, like, when we're comparing it to the scripture of Emmaus, Scripture was open. Yep. And that was receiving. So um, should we like open the Bible randomly, or go to our favorite scripture? What do you suggest there? Good. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about um the possibility of what we can do in prayer. It's a good plan, it's a good idea to have a plan when you go to pray. Okay. Um, so whether you're gonna read the gospel today, the day or whether you're going passage by passage through Luke, or using a list that you have from somewhere, or just, I'm gonna go sit down and open a passage and that's the plan. Whatever the plan is, um, to have an idea of where you're gonna start, okay? And then it's okay to just ditch the plan if God brings up something else, okay? But we wanna have a starting point uh, so that we don't spend half of our prayer time trying to figure out what we're gonna pray about. which is very easy to do. Um, but so to have a plan, start there. And scripture is absolutely a way that God speaks to us. Um, giving, I'll have an article for you that helps. Um, it's a great description. I know it's been passed out in the nice before. Um, a Jesuit, Armand Negro, gave us this great article about prayer that um, goes a little bit more into the, the praying of scripture. But he will speak to us in scripture. Um, we just celebrated a... A few, um, days ago last week the feast of St. Anthony um, of the desert one of the desert fathers um, and he uh, would listen to scripture go into the church, hear scripture proclaimed, go sell all your belongings and he had heard that before but one day he knew that God was speaking directly to him and so he went and sold all of his belongings okay. and um, God will reveal that distinction to it. He will say, I am speaking to you personally in this. And the really beautiful thing about scripture, as we open it up, uh, St. Therese used to do that, just play Bible roulette and open up a passage um, and let it let it speak to her. Um, it might be a surprise to us what passage we're praying with, but it's not a surprise to God. And as he was inspiring the sacred writers um to write down his word, his living word, he knew that on this day of 2017, in Rapid City, South Dakota, we would be praying with this passage. And he's God. And he can infuse it with an inspiration that speaks to our heart today. So we can go with confidence to the word of God every single day that he has something for us. And that it will be a starting point to the conversation that he wants to have with us. Okay? So, um, there's a lot of freedom in the question that you ask in terms of wh- where is the answer in Scripture? Should we open it up? Should we not? There's no right answer. Um, but it's a good starting point for our prayer um, very often. And then sometimes the Lord will inspire us. I read some passage somewhere about this. I need to go back there. There's something there for me um, in regard to this. And so to follow that, um, take that encouragement. Does that help? Other questions? Okay. Um, I have, there, we put a basket over there with pieces of paper. Um, and I encourage you, uh, feel free to ask questions um, as they come up. <coughs> are what we're talking about. But also um, if there's either something you just don't want to ask or that we don't we run out of time in the day. For the last hour um, we're gonna look at some practical tools, but I also want to go to some questions that people may have. So feel free to do put um, questions in that basket and we'll go through as many of them as we can um, in the last hour today. We're going to move on um, and kind of connect this call to our own prayer and interior life with that of the mission and ministry that's been entrusted to you. Um, and it was so great because last night Father Mark introduced this to us: um, this essential order of relationship, identity, and mission. Um, and our world lives this backwards most of the time. Okay, um, so. The essential ordering of, of all things of the day, of our activity, of our heart, is relationship first, identity that comes out of that relationship and then mission. So we know this. My identity as a sister or a daughter or a spouse um, comes based on the relationship. I receive that identity from the relationship that I'm in. It's okay? the basis of of who I am, okay? And that relationship with the Lord that the Father has adopted us as his sons and daughters (coughs) in virtue of our baptism precedes all else, okay? That's the foundation. It's the starting point. And from that relationship, I can know who I am as a beloved daughter of a heavenly Father. I can know who I am in all the other relationships that give you your identity. Okay? And only from there can we know with clarity our mission. Okay? Now, unfortunately, what's most prominent is that what we do tells us who we are. So if our activities, if our work, if our job, are successful, and it happens how we want it to happen, then we're successful. But if the stuff we do, the big failure, then we're a failure. Now this is completely backwards, but unfortunately, Tends to creep in as kind of an operating mode. It's a subtle lie. Nobody came to your program. You're a failure. You're a disaster. You're not able to do God's work. These subtle lies will kind of creep in. My kids didn't listen to me today. I'm a terrible mother. These subtle lies that who we are has something to do with the fruitfulness or reality of our activity is the judgment of the world and it's how the world sees it. But God sees it differently. No matter what happens. We are the beloved sons and daughter of the Heavenly Father. And nothing can change that. And when we notice that something in us is not believing that truth, it's a beautiful place to start in prayer. And go back to who we are. And go back to that encounter that tells us who we are. The Father at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan says, This is my beloved Son. That wasn't the first day the Father talked to the Son, that relationship existed from all eternity. And the son receives his identity from his relationship with the father. The son is the son because the father and the son's relationship gives him that identity. Who we are comes from our relationship with God. And then... From that moment, from the baptism, Christ went in mission. But it's a fruit. It's an, it's an extension of his identity. And so our mission is that extension of living in that relationship and living in that identity. Of who we are and how we are with God. So that ordering is really, really important. We're going to move to Pope Francis here. Um, His document, Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel. And he reminds us that the best incentive for sharing the gospel comes from contemplating it with love, lingering over its pages, and reading it with the heart. If we approach it in this way, its beauty will amaze and constantly excite us. But if this is to come about, we need to recover a contemplative spirit which can help us to realize ever anew that we have been entrusted with a treasure which makes us more human and helps us lead a new way of life. There is nothing more precious than we can give to others. For those who are serving, for those of us who are called into mission, which is every baptized person, you don't have to have a job or title. If you are baptized, you're called to be a disciple, called into the mission of Jesus. That relationship, cultivating that time, there is nothing more precious we can give to others. If you're a spouse, if you're in a relationship with anyone else in the whole world, the most precious thing that we can give is that time with the Lord that makes us more human and leads us to new life. And it's really hard to be convinced of this. Because sometimes it's not very productive. Apparently. We don't see how it accomplished a task or checked something off our to-do list. And yet, it is the best possible use of our time. That time with the Lord. according to our vocation. Cloistered contemplative nuns have a different call to prayer than people living in the world and working. And we need to be faithful to the call that we personally have. according to state in life. Pope Francis continues. In virtue of their baptism, raise your hand if you're baptized. (coughs) Hey, he's talking to you, talking to me. All the members of the people of God have become missionary disciples. Not have to become, but have become. You already are. You are a missionary disciple. Next summer, all the bishops in the United (laughs) States have organized this convocation of missionary discipleship. So they're all going to go meet in Orlando, Florida with people in their diocese. Because they recognize that this call to be missionary disciples... Is important. It's the call of Christ for his church, for the people of God. All the baptized, everyone in this room, whatever their position in the church, or their level of instruction in the faith, are agents of evangelization. Even if we know nothing at all, <coughs> we're called... To evangelize. And it would be insufficient to envisage a plan of evangelization to be carried out by professionals while the rest of the faithful would simply be passive recipients. That is not the plan of Jesus Christ. The new evangelization calls for personal involvement on the part of each of the baptized. You are called to be personally involved. As a disciple, Christ called you by name today. Every Christian is challenged here and now to be actively engaged in evangelization, to sharing the good news. And if we know what that good news is, in our daily life, then we have something to share. If we just notice and pay attention to what God is doing today in our hearts and lives, then we have everything we need to share with others the good news. Indeed, anyone who has truly experienced God's saving love does not need much time or lengthy training to go out and proclaim that love. Here. Let me tell you what Jesus did today for me. In the grocery store, at a meeting at school, in your parish, at home, over the dinner table. Every Christian is a missionary to the extent that he or she has encountered the love of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that every Christian is a missionary to the extent that they have received extraordinary and extensive, thorough training in all the practical tools necessary to be effective discipleship makers. He could have said that, but he didn't. It's about the encounter. When we encounter the love of Christ, he says early in this document, that we understand that it's very different. And it makes all the difference. It changes everything. To know the love of Christ. The whole world has changed. And that's what makes us effective. That's what makes an effective catechist. An effective priest. An effective mother, father, youth minister. An effective evangelizer in the context of your daily life. Wherever you find yourself. Because the place of evangelization is not only in the church building. It's everywhere we go. One of the reasons, um, sort of practical reasons, that secular institutes, I'm part of a secular institute, so we're called to be hidden and immersed in the world. And one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit raised up this charism, this call in the church, is because there are places in the world that priests and religious, who are called to be a beautiful sign of heaven in the world, be present in the world in beautiful and amazing ways, they can't get to and secular institutes are actually called to be a laboratory for the laity. So we practice, because we have the support of the community and in um, a structured kind of prayer life that helps us. But we're called to be a laboratory for every single other Christian, all of the laity, to go out and transform the world. And so my call and your call to transform the world by saying yes to the encounter with Christ and sharing that with others is exactly the same. We share that call from baptism. Well, Conclude with a little story. This isn't actually my pile of wood. It's a pile of wood that I've been on, but I found, but couldn't find my pile of wood in my pictures. Six years ago, um, we um, have a 20-acre plot of land that we run a summer camp for girls and do mostly confirmation retreats, but a variety of other retreats. And we had a 10,000 square foot horse barn that was our main facility. And it was really hot in the summer and really cold in the winter and birds liked to live in it. And, um, we used it to its maximum capacity and one day um, it started on fire. And we never could find the cause or the source, but it burned down to the ground um, right away very quickly. Um, and from that, Lord brought this amazing gift to a new building and it has doors and windows and bathrooms. And, um, it was super amazing. Um, and we get to continue our ministry. Um, but throughout the construction, they had to take down a few really big trees to um, be able to, to rebuild. And there was this idea that instead of hauling them all away, that some boy scout would come along and want to chop them all up into firewood. And I was gone the day that decision was made. Um, <laughs> a group of contractors thought that, that was a good idea. And they, they went away then. So I'm walking around the property about a year later, and they had put it all in this pile kind of in a corner for the front of that highway. We have this creek, and it was kind of out of the way. But I'm walking around the property making a list of things that we need to be doing in... For our spring cleaning and groups that would come out to do service, and I see this pile of wood and stumps and stuff, and my heart just thinks, like, oh, it has its own ecosystem now, live there, new animals and weeds that have come onto the property and are right here in this pile. What are we going to do with this? And so I told Jesus that I, I, I don't care what you do. I just want that wood pile to go away. <laughs> do whatever you want. I don't, I, don't wanna, I don't want that wood pile here. And a few days later, I kind of forgot about this request. Gotten us on to other things. And we were hosting a group of college students at our place. And they were saying that Cabins to College students to never go to bed. <laughs> they never sleep. <laughs> So it's like 1 o'clock in the morning to whatever, we're going to the house and leave them to do whatever they want. But they were um, going back to the cabins and um, so we're to bed late at night and hear a car door um, and look out the window and there's some guy parked right outside our house on the highway, 1 o'clock in the morning. And there's three of us women, and then a bunch of poor, innocent college students staying in our cabins. <laughs> poor. And some guy pulling out by the house in the middle of the night. And so um, I did the most logical thing. I went downstairs and woke our superior and asked her what I should do about it. <laughs> um, she said, call the police. And back to sleep. And so I called the police. Like, I don't know who this guy is, I don't know where he went, like he vanished into the darkness of the night, I don't know if he's in the property, I don't know if he's gonna go back into the cabins and find our students staying there, who knows? And so they are very kind and these kinds a little patrol cars and they came from both directions And they're like, there's no man, there's no man anywhere. He vanished, We don't know where he went. The car is still there, parked on the side of the highway. And so I'm like, well, can't do anything about it hey, go to sleep, wake up the next morning. I go run some errands, I'm coming back and I'm realizing that there's kind of a sadness in my heart. Like, I don't want to live in a world where it's kind of smart to call the cops when some poor stranger shows up at your house in the middle of the night. That's a sad world. And so I told Jesus, if we can help him in any way, if he reappears, maybe we have a new car, I don't know. (laughs) Let us help him. Well, as I pulled into our property, he was there with a friend, and his car had broken down right on the side of the road in the middle of the night. And they were working on it, trying to get it started, and I went up and talked to him. And he was driving his car home for a friend because he was trying to fix it for him, And it broke down, and then he had cut through the cornfield across the street, so that's why he disappeared, to go home because he was only a few miles away. And then he just started telling me about his challenges and difficulties. He was out of a job, and looking for work, and trying to support his family, and had just had a really, really hard year. And as he's telling me this story, I notice him looking over my shoulder. And all of a sudden he said, what are you gonna do with that pile of wood over there? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, I'm trying to get rid of it. Can I take it? No way. <laughs> Some guy who shows up in my house in the middle of the night wants to take my wood file away. I said, well, are you? can you? Yeah, you can have it. I said, I just finished cutting all the wood for my family. We use wood to heat our home. And somebody stole it out of our front yard. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm like... Well, you just can take whatever you want. So I've got a friend, we've got a big truck, we can come and cut it apart and take it away. And I'm going, I can't believe this man is going to take away this wood pile. His name is Paul. And he came the next day and started hauling this wood away. And this is like a mammoth job. Like I could spend the rest of my life cutting wood and it would never be done. It's a huge pile. And came back the next day, and the next day we had three friends. I took him water, and we started talking. And I was at a retreat about five months later, and I was telling the story about Paul. And I realized that the wood pile wasn't gone. Like, he had come and gotten a lot of it, but it was still there. So I told Jesus, you know Jesus. <laughs> I would have, like, a whole wood pile gone. That's not the you, There's still some left. Paul texted me that afternoon asking if he could come get the rest of the wood. (laughs) For sure. He really, really wants to take care of us and provide for us. And I got home and Paul was out there cutting wood and I went and talked to him and he said, You know, since I've been here cutting wood, I knew that God was really taking care of me. And I shared with him the gift that it had been, that he was taking away our woodpile, and how God answered my prayer through him. And he said, well, I just kind of stopped believing in God because I thought he didn't care, and he wasn't real but now I know that he cares about me and he's taking care of me. And I told my son, who's 13, about this. His son has never been to church of any kind in his whole life. And because he realized that God was taking care of him, Paul asked his son if he wanted to go to church. And his son said yes. they started going to church. His mom was a, a, a member of a Protestant church in Omaha. And they started going with her. This man encountered Jesus. Not because I went somewhere and gave a talk. But because I asked Jesus to help me. And I shared that with him. Here's how God helped me. Now, Paul and his son are going to church and they're encountering Jesus and know him in a completely new way. It's not because I have skills or I'm equipped or have a master's degree. It's just because I talked to Jesus when I was going about my daily work. That is the call. Every single baptized person is already equipped to be the most effective evangelizer. For sure we want to gain skills and capacities and deepen our knowledge because I'm then we deepen our encounter with Jesus. But we lack nothing. We have everything you need in the Holy Spirit dwelling in you by virtue of your baptism. And he wants to draw that out and reveal to you all the ways that he uses you. Sometimes we get used and we never get to know about it. Sometimes we feel like we're a complete failure, and all of a sudden God brings some great thing out of it. So we remember that it's not really because we're so good. And sometimes we get to see what God is doing. We have the opportunity now to spend some time before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And I invite you to, um, there's a piece of paper as you go out with some um, scripture passage again. And I just want to offer these questions. Um, if any of them catch your attention, you can write them down. Um, there's other um, things on the paper as you go. But it's good for us to notice when we feel a life alive and life-giving in our ministry, when we find it easy, and to notice how we were experiencing God. To think about why we're doing what we're doing. What made you want to become a catechist or a liturgical minister or a youth minister or a mom or dad or a priest? Why does it matter? Why do you say yes to this? And why do you want other people to know Jesus? What have you received that makes it worth saying yes to that? I invite you to take a moment to pause, to notice what is going on in your heart, to notice what's catching your attention, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires. Jesus, help us to know your presence and your action in our life today, so that we may be transformed, that we may share your light and your love with all those that we encounter. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat>